Good morning. This is Pastor Aaron Harris from the Altitude Bible Church greeting you. The warm-hearted church of the heartwarming message of Family Church. Why not join us this morning for our missionary conference service? Sing with us, pray with us, and follow the message in God's Word. This morning, missionary Tom Sanchez will bring the message. standing and turn in your hymnals to hymn 487. Speak just a word for Jesus, hymn number 487. going to have our first number of special music and it's by our primary and junior departments. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're keep on the firing line.
right, everybody said amen. 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 So, uh, all right. So we have uh, a special report today. Uh, we have Crossroads Pregnancy Center. Last month, our church family here, we, uh, we did a diaper drive for Crossroads Pregnancy Center. We wanted to invite them as well uh, to our missionary conference because we wanted to uh, recognize certain ministries here in our city of Altoona. And so today we have Miss Cindy. If Cindy would like to come up, and uh, she's going to talk a little bit about uh, Crossroads Pregnancy Center. Um, it is a, a fabulous ministry. Um, I even went to the building myself when they gave me a, a tour. It's a small building, but there's so much uh, there, and um, I'm excited to have Crossroads here. I'm excited for them to be in Altoona, and um, so take it away, Cindy. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you today? Good. So it's such an honor to be here this morning and take a few minutes and just thank you, first of all, for all the diapers. That was wonderful. So it's going to bless our clients greatly and for your support and your prayers for our ministry. Um, the ministry has been in existence for the last 38 years, and we serve four counties now in central Pennsylvania, and we just, as you know, recently opened in Altoona. Um, let's see, that was like the end of September, beginning of October. So before I tell you a little bit about that, I'm going to give you the real short. If you see those shoes there, when I started in this ministry 20 years ago, I felt very unequipped. And when they told me that they wanted me for the position, I was scared. So I'm encouraging you that if God is speaking to you about getting into ministry in some way, shape, or form, please listen. So the day they called me, I was in the garden, and I had on these old shoes that, you know, you wear them in the dirt. And the phone rang, so I went in the house. They told me they wanted me to come on board, and I went back outside with my knees shaking, and my husband looked at me and said, you got the job, didn't you? And I said, I think I did. And he said, Cindy, look at your shoes. And in the soles of my shoes was written the word crossroads, and I had never noticed that before. And so in that moment, God said, this is the way, walk in it. And I came to know that he doesn't call the equipped, right? He equips those he calls. So, so why do we do what we do at Crossroads? Well, we do that because God has such a love for us, right? His image bearers, a love so great that he paid the ultimate price to redeem us back to him. And now you and I have the astounding privilege of co-partnering with God and being his ambassadors in rescuing these image bearers and sharing the love of Christ. And so that's why Crossroads does what it does. So our ministry is made up of staff, volunteers, and donors from a diverse group of Christian denominations. We receive no state or federal funding, thank you. Um, we do that because we're leery. Sometimes, you know, we will look at those grants, but we want to be able to speak freely of Jesus, right? So the services that we have are many. I'm going to go over those kind of quickly, and then I'm going to circle back. Um, we have a medical clinic in each one of our five locations, and we are licensed with the state of Pennsylvania. Um, we have RNs that are trained to do limited obstetrical ultrasounds. We do pregnancy tests and the ultrasounds and STD testing and treatment. And that's been um, in existence in our ministry since 2013. So I'll talk more about that later. We also have something called our Bridges Program, which is an earn while you learn program. 
and clients will come in. Um, sometimes their partners will come with them, and they have hundreds of classes that they can take with us about pregnancy and parenting and relationships and life skills and all of those things they're going to need. Um, they exchange a completed class for a point, and then they can get any number of items that we have, cribs and car seats and strollers and diapers and clothes, and, and the list quite goes on. We call it bridges because it builds a bridge of relationship with them. So we all know that if we're going to share Jesus and what he did for us, we first have to have that relationship, right? And so that's what the Bridges program does. And they know when they come in that we are Christian because we have a consent to care form that every new client fills out. And in that, we tell them that we uh, are Christians, that we follow biblical principles for problem solving and so on and so forth. But we don't push religion. So at the end of a session, we will say to them, may I pray with you? And 99% of the time, they will say yes, but they have no background whatsoever. So they kind of look at you like you have three heads, like, sure, I guess so. And so we pray with them. And it'll be simple, and it'll be quick. And then the next time they come in, something's going on in their lives that isn't good. You know, it could be any number of things, but maybe it's grandma's in the hospital, and, and I'm really worried about her, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. And so we can say, well, can I pray with you about that? And so we do. And inevitably, the Lord will show himself through that, because when they come in the next week, they'll say, hey, you know when you prayed about my grandma? Well, listen, she came home last week, and she's doing so much better, and that's when we can point to Jesus and say, that's our God. So bridge of relationship is so important, and that's what that program's about. So we also have a men's program, which we are currently um, upgrading, I would say. We just hired a new men's program manager. First time we've ever had a man on the staff, but it's, it's time. So the men are coming, and so we want to do the best we can to meet with them. So we have male client advocates that meet one-on-one -on -one with those clients. Um, so that's been a very good thing. We have a post-abortion Bible study that we do for women who have had abortions in the past and they're struggling emotionally, spiritually. We have Bible studies that we do for pregnancy loss, um, such as miscarriages or stillborns. Um, we have a sexual integrity program, which teaches one-on-one -on -one God's plan for sexuality. And we also have another division of Crossroads called Reaching Destinations. And that's the sexual risk avoidance uh, curriculum that goes into the public schools. So we're in several county public schools and in youth groups and church. So we have a lot going on. But I'm going to circle back real quick. First of all, last year, now remember we weren't in Altoona until beginning of October, but last year we had saw 320 individual clients, 2,758 appointments, 123 ultrasounds, 44 patients at risk, decided to carry, and 38 of those had an ultrasound. So praise God for that. So the reason we decided to open an Altoona is kind of multifaceted, but God really started opening doors. Uh, the latest abortion statistics from 2020 showed that in Pennsylvania that year, 32,123 abortions were done to residents of Pennsylvania. The other counties that we served that year had 67 residents. Blair County had 106 residents. 
Um, of that total, 32,123, 21,934 were at eight weeks or less. And that's gonna become important when I tell you about our medical. So January of 2022, we started doing Google ads. Well, luckily there's a company that takes care of that for us. They're called Choose Life Marketing because it's complicated stuff, but it works. And so immediately when these ads started coming up, when women are searching for abortion clinics and whatnot, our ad would come up. They would click on that and then they can text us, email us, or call us. And so we found out in the first four months of running those ads that 26 plus percent of those contacts were from the Altoona area. And what they needed were the medical services that we provide. So I'm gonna give you some examples of the texts. These are actual texts that we receive from them. I'm pregnant, five weeks from my last period getting the abortion pill in the mail. I just need an ultrasound to confirm how far along I am. Or I'm pregnant, can you help me with a location to get an abortion sooner than later? I'm 28 and I think I'm pregnant. I'm so ashamed and I don't, want, don't know what I'll say to my pastor. Another one, I took a home test and I'm more than positive I'm pregnant. I should be under 10 weeks. I would like the pill. I want to be scheduled preferably for the ultrasound just to make sure. Another one, need immediate abortion. Pregnant but ultrasound appointment is in three weeks and might be too late for the abortion. Patient is 16 and I'm her mother. And one more, I believe I'm four to six weeks pregnant and I wanted information about the pill and where to go. This is my first time ever having this happen to me. So while these women could go to a, a Planned Parenthood or another medical facility, they're not gonna get the pro-life, pro-love counseling that we can do in our office. And that's the need for the medical aspect of what we do. Um, since opening the Altoona office, we've seen 34 individual clients and 16 ultrasounds so far. And we did have a patient there who felt like abortion was her only choice Women usually don't choose abortion, and there's a quote. Frederica Green, I believe was her name, said, women don't choose abortion the way you choose an ice cream cone or a Porsche. It's like an animal caught in a trap that cuts its own leg off. It's an agonizing decision, and they usually feel like they have no other choice. We want to empower women to know that they have a choice. So this patient came in feeling like it was her only choice. And when we were able to show her her beautiful baby and be able to give support and tell her, you can do this, she took those pictures of the baby. She wanted those pictures of the baby, and she heard the heartbeat, and she was very thankful when she walked out the door. But God knows the results of what we do. We don't always know. Sometimes we do. The abortion pill is the new weapon of the enemy. And you've probably heard a lot about it in the news lately because the courts have been going back and forth about, you know, do we rescind that they can have it back and forth. So pray about that. The abortion pill is actually two pills. The first pill, mifepristone, will block progesterone that allows the baby to live. And then the second pill that they take causes the contractions so that they give birth, basically. Um, Initially, it was allowed up to seven weeks, and then they expanded it to 10 weeks, okay? So if this will work, 
this is a baby, and this is what the moms see. This is 10 weeks and two days. And I know first time you look at an ultrasound, it's like, what? What is that? But the baby's head is kind of at the bottom, and you can see a little hand, and you see the spine going up to the top. Can you see that? Okay. So even up to that point, the pill can be taken. This is another baby at about the same age, and you can see the little profile of the face. And God's creation is amazing, isn't it? And this is one at nine weeks and two days. Again, upside down on the picture, but you can see the little baby waving, waving at us, doing a dance. They like to do a dance. And then what you see there is the heartbeat. So three things a woman needs to know when she's deciding what to do. Is it a viable pregnancy? Meaning, is there a heartbeat? Is it placed where it should be in her, not in the, um, a fallopian tube? Um, is, that's the second thing. The third thing is, how far along am I? Okay, so we can give her those answers. This is a couple who thought that abortion was their only choice, but they decided to choose life. And so that gives us the opportunity to speak life into people, not just life in the womb, but life everlasting. So I want to thank you so much for supporting our ministry. Please pray for us. My first day on the job, the founding mother said, we stand at the gates of hell. And that song you just sang, it is a spiritual battle. So thank you so much, and God bless you all. Thank you for that report. That's a, an amazing and, and powerful testimony of what God's doing here locally and also to God's faithfulness to us. I'm going to ask that the children return, the primary and junior departments, they have another song for us. And this song is titled, I Wonder How It Felt.
again, thank you, children, for blessing us with special music this morning. I'm going to ask at this time you all please stand. We're going to lift up our voices together to the Lord. We're going to sing our worship song.
At this time, Junior Church is going to be dismissed, everybody said. Amen. People need a Lord. Right now, uh, Mr. Tom Sanchez, one of our missionaries, is going to come and uh, present the message today. Missionaries, one of the tasks we have is to continually learn about the cultures we're going to and the cultures around them. There are even subcultures that we need to pay attention to because every country is a mix of peoples. In Burundi, they are Tutsi and Hutu and a smaller group called Batwa, also known, as we used to say, pygmies, because they tend to be very short people. And uh, so it's an interesting mix, and those cultures have very strong differences. One of the things that I believe that Galatians chapter 1 shines a light on is the issue of um, the clarity of the real gospel that saves. And that is so important that if people don't have it, that they can be lost. The last couple of years in Burundi have reinforced to us that the phrases that we often hear, that people who've traveled there, and even African people themselves will sometimes say, is that Africans, using that generalization of Africans, think this way. Or Africans are like this. We're like this. Those phrases should be used sparingly because Africa is a huge continent with a lot of countries and within those countries, lots of different people. When you arrive in a country like Burundi, you don't generally have people coming up to you and saying, hey, we're like this. Mostly, you gotta figure it out for yourself and usually you figure it out by making mistakes. You say something wrong, you do something wrong and you get told, uh, no, you know, we don't do things that way or whatever. Now, one of the big discoveries that pertains to Galatians chapter 1 is that I've discovered that throughout many parts of Africa that I've traveled to, and it's especially true in Burundi, uh, that people start churches, call themselves pastors, call themselves even apostles, bishops, names that they think will sound important, and start churches. They're Christian in a blanket sort of way, the doctrine ranges from anything that sometimes is good and spot-on-ish to stuff that's way out there. They, people have found that if they call themselves a pastor, Americans ready to believe that they're prepared as a pastor, or especially if they opt for things like apostle or prophet, that you will think they're greater than they really are. Seeking missionaries. So when we do visit those churches, they praise my preaching up and down. And the Lord taps me and says, hey, I'm sincere. Why? And, oh, you, you, that was such a great sermon. I remember a guy saying, shaking my hand, oh, you have a gift of evangelism. Please come back again and preach more sermons to us. I didn't go back. I felt very quickly that he was just trying to lure me in. However, that is a tool to get a hearing with people and to get started with people. And when they do hear mid-Acts dispensational theology, it starts to make sense. And even no matter where they were coming from, a good number of those people will cross over. This fight is global. With the inter internet now, foreign nationals will seek you out directly via contacting on the internet. They're looking for people who are a bit naive and think a Christian's a Christian's a Christian's a Christian, and especially a pastor, um, they deserve special respect. Uh, but what about the content of their teaching? Are they really Christians? Shouldn't we as missionaries, and part of our goals as GMI, is to go where Jesus is not known, not named. But what we also need to remember, 
again pointed to in Galatians chapter 1 is that in Paul's lifetime, during his ministry, he had to come back to them and talk to them. We're going to get to that in a minute. So huge numbers of people, seemingly already planted churches in Burundi, have veered off into, as you've heard from my colleagues, what they're seeing also in South America, prosperity gospels, works gospels, ecumenical gospels, we're all the same, and the like. People have heard of Jesus, but he's being portrayed often as a doorway to prosperity, more than as the door to salvation. The door, capital D-O-O-R, to salvation. Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Savior who suffered and died to purchase our salvation and who wants us to live in obedient relationship with him. So let's go to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to see what Paul had to say very early in this ministry to this region of Galatia. I'm told that Galatia wasn't necessarily a particular city, but it was a region. Paul, let's read from beginning with from verse 1. Let's go through the first five verses first. Paul, an apostle, there's a parenthesis there, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Messiah, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 1, Paul immediately says why he's qualified to write what he's about to write. He prefaces this. He was called to be an apostle who was sent not by the authority of men, but by Jesus the Messiah and God the Father. No man had authority to give him this calling. Paul had face-to-face -face encounters with the risen Jesus. Paul is qualified to speak authoritatively with the title as an apostle and make bold statements about the gospel, what it is, and the status of people who preach an altered gospel. Verse 2, Paul adds that after asserting his own authority, all the brethren with me. So first, he established his particular authority, but he also establishes that he is with brethren who are part of that group, a group of teachers, his own disciples. But yet, as his office as an apostle, he does stand apart. Paul addresses the churches in Galatia, a region, as we've said. His letters are meant to be consumed by multiple churches, not just a church. The alterations of the gospel may have already become widespread that he's going to address. And this was very soon. So within a few years' time, apparently, let's say not even more than a decade, within a generation, he didn't say, okay, that, that group has been evangelized. They're good for at least a generation. We won't go back and see how they're doing until you know, the next generation of Vintons come along, let's say. No, we need to keep going back. In verse 3, he says, The grace and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. The equality of Jesus with the Father is thus expressed. Paul received his authority from Jesus, the same as his Father. So Paul then gives just a little pass to the gospel in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world. That's the gospel in, in brief. 
according to the will of God the Father. That he might deliver us from this present evil world to get us out of these sin habits is another part of this goal after our transformation by the gospel. Let's read from uh, verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He quickly accuses the Galatians of moving, being removed, or deserting the one who called them and turning to a different gospel, another gospel. That's what he means by another, some other gospel, which in reality is no gospel at all. As nice as it sounds, it's leading people away from salvation. Did you hear that? Away from salvation. That's why he uses this phrase that they should be accursed. That means thrown to hell. That's not just punished, something little. It's a big deal. Those evil people who were among them were confusing them, and they were perverting. Perverting means to twist something, to change it in a way that it no longer means what it really is supposed to mean. With a deadly, serious warning, he said, though we, he's actually pointing to himself. He had been there. He had taught them. And he says, if I come around back to you and I say something different from what I already deposited to you, even me, I should be accursed. And he puts his followers, who he talked about, in that basket with him. If we, so it's not just Paul, it's him or his teachers come around, change their mind, and start preaching something else, an adulterated version, a perverted version, it should not be listened to. In fact, those who would do that should be accursed. No changing of the mind. They would deserve eternal condemnation if they were to do that. Now, he's, Paul's about to repeat himself. As I said to you before, so I now say again, if any man preach you gospel other than what we have received, let him be accursed. Any man. So he broadened it. Not just he and his disciples. He spoke of anybody. Any man. That would include women. There were, in, in Burundi, for instance, there are women who are out there calling themselves a prophet, prophets and apostles and other things, and co-pastors or partner pastors with their husband, other things. If any man. So it's very clear. Anyone who comes to them with a different gospel, preaching something other than the gospel message that was already preached and that they received or accepted, this person should be eternally condemned, accursed. Paul repeats it. Why does he repeat it? The Bible repeats things when they really, 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 Lord wants you to get it. These little changes of the gospel are important business. Any other preaching that distorts the gospel towards a works gospel, towards a law-oriented gospel in the context here, means you have to complete certain things of the law. We could add other legalistic things of today, like you cannot be saved unless you are water baptized. You cannot be saved unless you regularly receive communion. I've heard of denominations that teach such things. Now, those things may have their place, but they're not something that saves you or not. This inflammatory nature 
Paul realizes is not easy for people to hear. He says to them in verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He's not there to make people happy by what he's saying. So then he goes on to establish that what he received was from the Lord God himself. Verse 11. Paul says where this gospel came from. But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He got this directly from Jesus in a revelation form, not in a teaching form. I believe the revelation aspect speaks to the fact that it was a special Unusual thing, not just being taught, but having something revealed to him through G- directly from Jesus. Paul is believable and trustworthy. Verse 13, for you have heard of my con- conversation, my, the way I lived in, in the past, in time past, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. That's a word that comes into our modern language. We understand that word really well, even from Paul's time to our time. To have wasted something means to really knock it out. He knocked out the church of God. He put people in prison. He was behind even the stoning of people, perhaps, and other means of killing them. And I profited in the Jews' religion above many equals of my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father's. He was extremely zealous and competent in what he was doing within that religion. But notice that it was tradition and not truth that he was following in verse 14. That says something about the care we need to take with our traditions. I'm old enough that I'm seeing churches in in transition. I'll say 64. I'll let you know. Hopefully you're saying, oh, I've never guessed. But I'm 64. I'm getting up there. And so I've seen churches and I've seen the generation that were the old folks pass away and now those folks who were of my, say, parents' generation are also passing. And some of the things that we liked and we did in that generation needs to be handed off smoothly to the next generation. And it's a tricky process. This church and every other church I've been to is going through that process always but it seems more particularly so with baby boomers of us, and I'm at the tail end of the baby boomers, needing to let go of certain things that we confuse with the Word of God, tradition, very tricky thing, to have a smooth transition to the next generation. Verse 15, Paul says that he was set apart from birth and called by his grace. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by his grace. God did that. So God revealed his son in Paul, verse 16, that he might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So he's repeating this again. I conferred not with flesh and blood, not with any man, but I got this from Jesus Christ. Get this. This is special revelation, this gospel that I've given you. He goes on and speaks of chronologically. Verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem, to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He gives that chronology. There's nothing 
wasted in Scripture. Paul wanted us to understand and see that there was a period of time, there was geography that distanced him from the other apostles. He didn't get what he got from the other apostles. And I came out of a denomination that sees Peter as the foundation of the church. And yet, Paul did not need to consult Peter. In fact, he goes to pains in Galatians to show that he didn't see Peter until much later on. Let's go on. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. That's the first time he sees Peter. And abode with him 15 days. It was just a couple of weeks. There's no mention of a seminar there that Peter sat him down and set him straight. They just got to know each other. But other of the apostles saw I none. He just wants to say, I only saw Peter? Oh, wait, maybe James. Save James, the Lord's brother. 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. He's making and taking pains to say, he's telling them the truth, where he got it from, when he got it from. He didn't get it from other people. He didn't even get it from other apostles. He doesn't decry that they deserve those titles, but he did get it directly from Jesus Christ. He even says then in verse 22, I was talked about where he went, and I was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. So he didn't really hang out with the Jewish-oriented apostles. But they only heard that he who had persecuted us in time past now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So, Paul is an apostle appointed directly by Jesus, God the Father. Paul received revelation, including the pure, simple gospel of grace directly from Jesus. Paul was not under any human leadership, but he conferred with the apostles, the, those apostles to the Jews, in order to keep relations peaceful and understanding. There was a transition happening from the Jews to also the Gentile nations. No one in this section is ever to add or take away from the simple, pure gospel, or they will be eternally condemned. And this is what has been happening to most of those Christian churches, air quotes, in Burundi and in Zambia and in Eastern Congo. There's a lot of people bathed in a coating of Christianity, but are preaching works and prosperity oriented gospels, for instance. The prosperity one is huge. And with those cell phones, someone asked earlier about a missionary, do people have cell phones, smartphones? Lots of people, adults. I don't see very many kids with cell phones, but it's not unheard of. But many, most adults, most families have at least a simple cell phone and many with a smartphone. So they can access all that internet content. Now there's good in that and there's tough, bad stuff in that very much influenced by preachers who draw thousands and thousands unto themselves to enrich themselves. That's what we're finding in Burundi. Many people who come to us for the wrong reasons. We make use of that opportunity, however, to give Pauline corrective and far deeper foundational teaching. That's how we use that tool. You, know, you get lemons, make lemonade. And that's what we're doing. There is a denomination that calls itself the Grace Bible Church Burundi. And they do believe in salvation by grace through faith. They preach that solidly and strongly. However, it has 58 member churches. And I thought there would be a lot of training that would go into those 58 churches. But a lot of those churches have just joined that main Grace Bible Church because the leader had access to missionaries. He's a good guy. I think he's sincere. But there's also a part of him that knows that 
we are we have some resources that we can help with from the churches of America. So I'm a golden egg to him in a way. Good thing, bad thing, right? But you have to be aware of that. Now I could have written glorious prayer letters and said, oh, we, we've, we've just gotten 58 churches. No, it's not really the truth. We're, we're, we're in, in the path of bringing those 58 churches along. And another group called Pentecostal Vision Church, five churches, also joining with us. Now, we've got a ways to go, don't we? <laughs> we've got a Pentecostal Vision Church joining with us. But they're open, they're accepting. And as I've given seminars with my colleague, the Wendy Polis, our, uh, they teach with us, from Tanzanians. You'll get that tomorrow night, by the way. Come tomorrow night for the full uh, story of our ministries, Michelle and I. And uh, I'll tell you more about that. But that's one of those things. We've got people who are hearing the gospel because they are coming for the wrong reasons. Are you ready to come to the right understanding of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that his blood was shed, and he will coat you with his blood so that God doesn't see your sin any longer. And that's a free gift. You can't do anything to earn that. You just have to believe it. And by that faith of believing it, accepting Jesus Christ into your life, accepting who he is, understanding who he is, and what he has done for you. When you accept that, you can be born again and not taken away to other things, believing you have to do something to earn that forgiveness. Fight the good fight. We're preaching that. Now, you may have heard that I'm medical. I'm a doctor of nursing practice, a family nurse practitioner at a doctoral level. In Michigan, we're really pushing hard that all nurse practitioners must be at a doctoral level. In the medical area, we like to diagnose and 90% of diagnosis is that time when your provider is talking to you, asking you questions, getting answer, and from based on that answer, asking more questions. Over and over again, as I was going through my training, I was told that 90% of the way towards a diagnosis is in those questions. Now, there's two diagnostic questions. This comes out of Evangelism Explosion. I think they're really good. Be ready to ask yourself, and after you ask yourself and answer these questions, ask your loved ones. Ask your children these questions. If you were to die today, this is the first question. To die today, do you think you would go to heaven? If you get a yes or no answer, yes tells you, oh, maybe they, no. If no, okay. You go right to the gospel. Then I've got good news for you. You can know that if you die today, you're going to go to heaven. Share the gospel. Number two, second question. If you got to the door, let's say they answer, yeah, let's, let's dig deeper now. So this is an algorithm, you know, those evil algorithms, but this is a good algorithm. The algorithm says if the answer is yes, now you ask the second question. If you get a no, you go to the gospel. Yes, you say. If you got to the doorway of heaven, now this situation doesn't exist. I don't want you to think this is biblical. And God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And you take that answer, and that's going to give you your diagnosis. You're going to say, well, I'm working really hard and I'm trying. I go to church. I'm pretty good. Or, oh, I don't think I'm going to heaven. I don't think I really don't. I've had people tell me, I don't think I'm good enough. Well, there's your diagnosis. What's the diagnosis? Are they saved? Yes or no? No. If they give you answers that are offbeat, if they say, I come to faith in Jesus Christ, I believe he died for my sins, 
paid the price, the Son of God. Who he is, what he did. Apply to yourself. Salvation is there. If not, you've got some work to do. How about you today? Are you ready to come to Jesus? That's what coming to Jesus is all about. The acknowledgement of these truths. Understanding them. Understanding that you are a sinner. Let's ask our children these questions. They'll get it. They're easy enough to understand, and our children need that solid foundation of the true, unadulterated gospel, so they're ready to fight the good fight as they meet the world. And this fight is global. And we are ambassadors. If there's anyone here who has yet to receive Jesus Christ, please come and see me. I'll be either at my table or talking to people. I want to talk to you. I came to Jesus Christ in premarital counseling with my soon-to-be wife. My wife was pregnant. The stories she told today touched my heart because I was this Catholic kid hearing the gospel and uh, had a girlfriend we met at Burger King. We both worked at Burger King. Became boyfriend and girlfriend. Became involved. And that's where I was. My mom had been born again. She was the woman at the well. You see that little statue, the man and the woman? That's a little statue of the woman at the well and my table back there. My mom was the woman at the well. She's dead now. I can say these things about her. I can say some things about myself. Mom had been married several times had had a couple of boyfriends in between. Our household was a mess. Seven kids, another eighth kid, born out of wedlock when she was in high school. When mom came to receive Jesus Christ, when I was uh, about turning 18, after high school, mom made an immediate change. She swore like a sailor. I can say that, she's dead, she's gone. She's probably up in heaven saying, oh, you're gonna tell him that? I love my mom, she was a great lady, despite her faults. She died in Tanzania as a missionary, fast forward. And me, this Catholic kid, with very inauspicious beginning, <laughs> came to the Lord, good, strong, Bible-believing, Mid-Acts Dispensational-Oriented Church. And wow, later the Lord asked me, do you want to be a missionary? I had to learn what that meant. And uh, thankfully, my wife, who at first said, no, no, no way. Uh, I learned that thing of praying and asking God to change her heart. And that's exactly what happened. A month later, after I started praying that way, my memory is that it was a month. And she said, okay. Because I was talking about going to Africa. You know, mud huts and all that. That's what we thought it was going to be. But she, she was willing to accept that, and she has accepted a lot. We have had gunfire. Even in Burundi this term, these last two years, there was a couple of grenade tosses. Not a game. Real live grenades tossed into crowds. People were blown up, hit with shrapnel. A number died, a number injured. We don't live in fear. My wife does not live in fear. She goes out even at night if she needs to. Um, Burundi's actually a pretty safe place compared to a lot of places, Chicago, Manhattan, so on. 
Philadelphia, I could name a few more, closer to home. Maybe Altoona, down certain neighborhoods. I feel safe at night. And we also feel safer because we know where we're going if something, the Lord allows something into our life. We know that it's the Lord allowing it. The Lord has prevented. I'd love to tell you other stories. There was a time when I fell off a bridge in the, in the middle of the forest. I was on a motorcycle. I thought I was putting my foot down. and I went over. God, in this bridge, you, you folks here do a lot of timber in, in Pennsylvania. This was a two-log bridge length. That means they laid down a log, and it met at a support, and then there was another log went to the other end. I was right smack dab in the middle, middle of this river with boulders underneath, kind of a rapids place, big boulders sticking out. I just went, fell over. I thought I was putting my foot down on the end of the, of the timber, and I wasn't, but it was too late. My weight had already shifted, boom. I fell on a tree that felt like a hand of God. And I, it was, in a spiritual sense, it was, and I felt secure. I would, mind you, I was about 12 feet above boulders, and the motorcycle was coming over on me, and my African buddy grabbed it to prevent that ha from happening. And he saw me suspended in the air. He said, give me your hand. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm, I'm just laid out in this tree. I'm fine. Just move up the ladder. I mean, the, the, take up the motorcycle so it doesn't fall on me. Now, that will really take us down. Okay. Whew. Thank you, God. Felt like a hand. I tell you, that's all. We said, where did this, we both, what happened? Where did this tree come from? And we saw it was growing all the way out from the shore underneath the bridge and just stuck out right there. Enough big branches that when I fell backwards onto it, it was like a hand. We got to the village and the guy said, wow, you guys are a little late here. What happened? Did something happen along the way? And they were saying it in a way that saying, yeah, well, in fact, we, I fell off this bridge and God's brain said, whoa. We were wondering. We all felt something was wrong. So we stopped and we prayed for you. And it was about 1 o'clock, and that was about the time I had had this tumble. God inspired prayer to save us. So these are the kinds of things I'd love to tell you about, and you'll see and hear more. Thank you for this time. Remember, if you want to talk to me about getting out from under a burden of sin, I'd love to share that with you. Come and see me. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And uh, go ahead and turn to your hymns. We'll go ahead and stand. We'll, uh, we'll sing uh, hymn 584, 584, and uh, as Brandon leads us. <laughs> 